Hey, First Gen family. This is your host, Rich Two. This is a special series in this feed called First Gen Stay Home Edition. The mission is the same, sharing immigrant stories from the creative community, but in this new normal we're all experiencing. I'll be catching up with friends of the show as well as some new ones. Before we get to our guests, I encourage all of you to help support your frontline healthcare providers and donate to First Responders First, a fund dedicated to frontline healthcare providers serving during the coronavirus pandemic. And you can do that at help.firstrespondersfirst.co. Nicholas Chidiak, how's it going, brother? I'm glad we could finally make this happen. Yeah, likewise, Rich. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on First Gen Stay Home Edition. I know we wanted to do this IRL. We were talking about this uh, weeks ago, but then obviously uh, the pandemic happened. And now it's, I think it's actually a better opportunity to connect and talk about how our lives have shifted and also talk about um, how your life has shifted and, and your point of view. So I'd love to jump in. Done. Yeah. Thank you. I, 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 I agree. I think there's no, no more of an opportune time than to talk about, you know, culture and, and, um, and how it's changing and shifting than, than what we're facing right now. Absolutely. So uh, the way we begin with all of our guests, uh, especially our first ones, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and where we're from? And I could love to dig in after that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've always struggled with the question who I am. I think I probably have the most confused identity that, that uh, yeah, as, as most third culture kids tend to have, like I was born in, in Greece um, to a Lebanese mother, but I went to a British school and was exposed to American media. So ultimately, there was just a culmination of all of those uh, different cultures inserting themselves into one confused person. Um, and so I spent 17 years um, pretty much growing up in Greece, and uh, and most of that was growing up in a, in a in a little eco chamber of a Lebanese community within Greece. So obviously, you know, my mother moved to Greece um, because of the civil war in Lebanon, which which was she actually thought was going to be a two-week ordeal. She's like, well, we threw out. You know, when I asked her the question, actually, sorry, and I know I am digressing. Um, no, there's a format question, to digress. Oh, perfect. Okay, I love it. Then, then when I asked her, I, I once asked her, I'm like, tell me the story of how you just got up in Lebanon, like, you know, how, how, how war impacted your life. She's like, well, we just got up and we left to Greece under the assumption that, you know, it's going to be two weeks. And kind of similar to what we're going through right now. We're just like, yeah, it'll be a couple of months. And then, you know, 40 years later, she was still there, you know, because the, the, the war lasted for 15 years. A previous guest of ours, Ahmed Klink, actually also was born in Lebanon and uh, uh, moved to France um, at the age of two um, because also the, the Lebanese Civil War. So can you speak a little bit about your personal memories, if you have yeah, any? Of course. Yeah, Rich, I, my memory was, I mean, it's very interesting because... You know, my, my childhood memories weren't very Greek country to me being raised in Greece. So I was raised in a, a microcosm of a Lebanese community in Greece. So I went to a British school and a lot of my friends were Lebanese and obviously Lebanese, that community going through what they were going through at the time probably brought them all together. And, and you know, all, you know, all of our kids, all, all us kids hung out together. So um, so my memories of Greece were just hanging out with people who, who weren't really Greek. Um, on the flip side, my brothers on the other end kind of inserted themselves into Greek culture. They actually did it through basketball. You know, as you 
probably may know Greece is, is quite big on, on basketball. And so my brothers yeah. assumed a Greek. Shout identity. out to uh, shout out to the Antetokounmpo brothers. Hey, they're fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, what that guy has done for Greece is, is, is amazing. And we'll, we can get, get onto that later. Um, but I have a point of view on him and I think, I think he, I think people don't give him credit for, for, for the impact he has had on, on Greece, on the perception of race, on the perception of the Greek identity. Um, but anyway, so, so I spent, um, I spent time pretty much, uh, in Greece in this, in this eco chamber that wasn't really Greek. Um, and I, and I felt, uh, to a certain extent, like an outsider in Greece, I couldn't speak the language very well. Um, and, uh, and as I was saying, Greece, Greece is a relative or was a relatively, uh, homogeneous, um, country and society. You know, if you, you're, you're Greek, you, you look Greek and you're, you're Greek Orthodox. And, and so there wasn't a big immigrant community. Um, so we were just kind of like outsiders and, and living well, not under no circumstances did we feel unwelcome there. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I spent pretty much 17 years, um, in Greece, just, um, living as a non-Greek. <laughs> so when it comes to, well, just to jump slightly ahead or a lot ahead, uh, but try to, uh, try to thread a needle here. So right now you're, you're the chief strategy officer at Rokan. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, that's, that's pretty major. And what is the connective tissue or what is the, the creative tissue that, that, that did I get got there? you there? Yeah. Um, so to answer your, your, your former question, which is, let me, let me kind of continue on the thread. So after, yeah. after I finished Greece, I was like at 17 years old, 18 years old. I'm like, all right, what do I do now? Where do I want to go to school? I wasn't a particularly good student. And um, we starts to get it, we starts to get in your answer of, 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 um, of what got me to Roken, but I wasn't a great student. And so I decided, you know what, I want to go to Beirut. Like originally the, the war had ended and I was like, I, I should go there. I had a couple of friends there and I wanted to connect with my identity. So I moved to Beirut and I spent four years doing my undergrad there and, and really connecting to, to what Lebanese culture was, because I truly didn't know what it was. And it's interesting like that when, when you, when you feel culture, and you feel discrepancies in culture, it usually comes on the back of a culture you're coming from clashing with another culture. Um, so, uh, so Lebanon was amazing, but it, but it was uh, my first experience of culture shock, and I've had multiple experiences of culture shock. I've lived you know, all over the world and been fortunate enough to do that. But that was my first experience of, of true culture shock. Was there a, a feeling of home and familiarity on any level? Like I, I recently went back to the Philippines for the first time in like 20, over 20 years. And then I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm amongst, you know, my people. Um, obviously, you know, there's a bit of a language barrier there because I don't speak Filipino, but I, I felt like an intrinsic sense of home. Did you have an intrinsic sense of home? Rich, it's it's a good question, and honestly, it's 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 interesting. I think why I define my identity as confused is is the actual two places I'm from, which are kind of Greece and and Lebanon. I felt like outsiders in both places, you know. And it's like the problem with third culture kids is like your identity never really belongs anywhere, and you you feel more at home in a city like London where everyone is an outsider, or 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 Dubai where I also lived where everyone is an outsider, or New York where everyone is an outsider and the city itself assumes a, um, you know, the city itself is pretty much filled with people who don't really, you know, belong to that city. Right. Uh, 
Right. It's a, so, it's a mixed bag of humanity and everyone's just existing. Kind of makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. So when, when you did, uh, after your time in Lebanon, and then uh, when you moved to London, was that, in, was that an attempt to, to kind of get into like a larger city, uh, larger city or like some uh, metropolitan yeah. thought? Or was that like a job thing? No, it was, so initially after I finished my postgrad, the first gig I got out of, out of Beirut was with Saatchi and Saatchi. So a friend of mine had, had helped me land an internship there. And so I got really interested in, in the creative industry and, and, and not because, you know, if you had asked me like, are you, know, are you going to be in, in the creative industry? Are you going to be in advertising? I have absolutely no clue. I kind of fell into it and then felt like it was a place where I belonged and I was quite good at it. And so my intention to go to London was to do two things. One is to spend time working there, you know, being a bigger market. And two, because I applied to a postgrad there. And so I got into a postgrad and I did, you know, I, I went to, to London to pursue, um, you know, uh, you know my, my grad studies. And, um, and it was interesting because I think London was the first truly um, heterogeneous society where you're literally, I'm sitting with, with the world, you know, and you live in a dorm room and all of a sudden, you know, I've moved from uh, relatively homogeneous communities like the Greeks and the, and the Lebanese, and now you're sitting in London and you have, you know, my flatmate was Chinese and Japanese and, and Brazilian and uh, a Swede and, and, and uh, Italian. And, and you learn. I, I think London taught me how, how, how little I knew about the world, you know, um, and how many societies exist and, and how different it is and how unique it is and how, how many different perspectives exist and just how, how, how much more there is to learn about the world than, than, than what I had experienced previously. Right. Like I see here that you went to the London School of Economics yeah. um, and that was right before Saatchi, but what was the thread from the London School of Economics to Saatchi? Like, how do you actually just get that job? Because a, a lot of our listeners are young grads or like young creatives and like they're, they're looking for a little bit of that advice on how to take that, that initial leap. Um, so the way I got into that, so Sa Saatchi London had a very structured graduate recruitment scheme. So in, in other incidences, I would say, you know, network as much as you can, try and find an in. But in the instance of Saatchi, it was a very structured recruitment. You had to fill out an application in like starting December for intake in like May, you know, and then you do interviews. And so it was a huge thing. So, so, so that was relatively formal, a formal process, which was, which was, um, um, so, so I, 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 you know, on that front, I don't really have a ton of advice to give people. It's just, you know, the, these large institutions tend to be, um, you know, quite structured. And I think the best, the best, best advice I can give is, is try and establish like a, a true point of difference in, in your application, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. How long were you at Saatchi for? So I spent almost um, about, give or take, like my entire Saatchi scheme was like about a year. And then I moved to, I wanted to move to Dubai because I had heard of, you know, the, the emergence of Dubai and a lot of my friends from Beirut moved to Dubai. So I moved there in 2005, I think, and I started working with Leo Burnett Dubai. Yeah. What are your clients uh, like um, over at Saatchi and then what were your clients like over at Leo Burnett over in Dubai? Um, so the clients in Dubai were, well, at the time when I first started working in Dubai, I mean, your, your clients at Saatchi were similar to your clients that you would get here. They were, you know, 
large multinationals, you know, your, your Procter & Gamble, mm. your CPGs. Um, and then all of a sudden I moved to Dubai and, um, and sorry to, 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 you know, the, the Saatchi clients were obviously, and just CPG clients are super structured and, and, and they're, they're, you know, it, it could take you an entire year to get from um, a brief to a script, you know, and then all of a sudden you move to Dubai. And I remember my first meeting in Dubai, um, we were working on a government account and the, the big bulk of spend over there was just government, these gigantic government accounts that are like creating all these initiatives um, and are basically building Dubai. And, uh, and, and, and my client was a client called Dubai Land, which was basically set to be the Disney World of Dubai. Um, and, and I was sitting in a meeting and there was an Emirati gentleman who was the CEO of Dubai Land. And it was my first presentation, um, and uh, and so we, we you know we we pitch it whatever we pitch an idea, and they're like, all right, gang, we like it, cool. Um, and then they ask us like, how long will it take for us to produce? And we're like, well, it's going to take something like three to four months, let's assume. And he's like, he's like three to four months. He's like, <laughs> I remember him saying, he's like, we build we build cities in a week in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, and you're telling me you need three to four months for a TV spot. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, Dubai was super fast, really, really fast. Um, you know, it was super scrappy, but it was really interesting, you know, because you just got, you, could, you know, you, you had briefs like, Hey, you know, I moved from a world of structure to a world of, Hey, listen, we're the government of Dubai. We're really interested in attracting talent from New York and London to move to Dubai, um, you know, can you help us and, and, and develop positionings, campaigns? So, you know, it's just really, really fun and, and, and interesting and scrappy stuff. Yeah. Uh, can you speak a little bit more? You just touched on it. Like a little bit more about the, the other cultural differences uh, when it comes to the so London to Dubai, obviously there's a difference in Dubai to New York. There's a difference between the way everyone does business. Um, I think what's interesting is the through thread of agency culture. Cause of course, agency culture, there's a lot of connectivity, uh-huh. general yeah, structure yeah, yeah. of like, you know, team building, but um, can I, you know, can I, can I, Rich, can I answer that within the call? I think the, the biggest, starkest drift the difference I found was the U.S. and Dubai. And I think that's just a good example because prior to moving to Roken and becoming their CSO, I went and ran Kellogg's for, for North America um, out of Leo Burnett, Chicago. Mm. So I spent three years there. So I think that there were, there were a lot of big differences. For, for, I mean, first, difference number one is I remember moving to, when I got the offer to come to America, and it was an internal company transfer, Leo Dubai moving me to Leo, Chicago. And I, I had an insecure, insecurity and inferiority complex of the West. You know, people used to give the examples of, you know, the West being similar to the NBA, you know, and the East being similar to the EuroLeague. So I remember when I moved to the U.S., I was, you know, I just felt like an imposter. You know, that, that's, that's one. And the second thing is, uh, interestingly, I moved into a position of seniority and I came from a culture and a working culture whereby seniority um, came from tenure. And so there was a correlation. And so very, very rarely did you have someone older than you reporting into you in Dubai. Right. And now all of a sudden I remember one week before I moved to the U S I got an org chart of the people who were going to be reporting into me. And I was just Googling around you know, who they were. And I realized like all of them had, were, you know, had at least one and a half times the experience I had. 
So from a cultural perspective, I came from, you know, a culture where it was like, all right, you know, you respect tenure and, and it takes time for you to move from position to position. I'm not saying all of Dubai is like that, but the organization I came from was. Um, Do you think that was just because of the, the growth of the city, like a, a power shift or a knowledge shift when it came to the generations? What do you account for that? It's, it's a good question. I think a lot of it is, you know, Rich, I don't know. If I had to hypothesize, I would hypothesize that the Middle East was, and this is, you know, someone who never lived, you know, someone who left five years ago, you know, it's pa- patriarchal and, and, and there is respect for the elders as there tends to be in, in, in Asia. And I think yeah, that absolutely. translates into the professional environment, you know, yeah. so, um, so experience comes with time. Uh, and so all of a sudden I moved to America and I, and I genuinely remember feeling super insecure, one, because I was moving from the East to the West. Um, and two, because all of a sudden I had, you know, 10 to 15 people who were reporting into me who were, you know, who are, had, you know, considerably more experience or as much experience as myself. And I'd never worked in America before. Mm-hmm. And I was running Kellogg's and I never, and remember, I didn't know, like, I, I mean, I was running Kellogg's. I never really, I knew about five products that you had for Kellogg's, uh, you know, in Dubai or in Greece or, but not the extensive, like I remember, I didn't know what a Pop-Tart was. Like I had to actually go in the middle of a meeting. I literally had to go to a bathroom. And I remember being in a Pop-Tarts meeting and, 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 and I was texting with a friend of mine. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm about to walk into a Pop-Tarts meeting. Like, do you know what a Pop-Tart is? And I basically said, I'm like, yeah, it's a dessert. And he's like, I'm like, it's a, it's like a, like a candy. And he's like, he's like, dude, he's like, go to the bathroom and Google. <laughs> I remember going into the bathroom and, you know, having to Google, like, what is, what is, so what is a pop tart? Oh um, my god! Yeah, it's like if you took so, uh, if you took a graham cracker and a donut and then smushed it together. That's kind of what, that's kind of what a pop tart is. Oh, I, I actually envy so, uh, you for having a pop tart experience in your adulthood, in your adult I know, life. I, I wish I could taste a pop tart for the first time. Up. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, so that was the first 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 difference. The other the other difference was I found it fascinating how many like. So I'm a, I'm a strategist and, and I moved from, from a market where you had kind of one strategist and we were generalists, like you would do social and digital and mobile and, 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 and you do a little bit of everything. You weren't great at, at, at anything, but you were okay at everything. Right. And then all of a sudden you move to corporate America and everyone has these super specialized disciplines. It's like, it's like you know what it's like? It's like uh, uh, football, like soccer versus the NFL. The NFL, you have, you know, I don't know how many people, uh, sorry, so I'm embarrassed to say that I still cannot have people play on, a, on, a, on an American football field, but you have really specific a disciplines, a lot. Yeah. And you have really specific disciplines. So, you know, in Dubai, it was, you figured out how to do a little bit of everything and you were a generalist and then you moved to the US and all of a sudden there are people who do little bits of, of everything. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. The other, um, and then just the, the final, I think the final main difference I found is, um, you know, I, I came from a country where, or countries where, you know, I think the way I, the way I define the world is, or at least structure around the world is you can categorize countries into two places. One is where it pays to stand in line and wait because you'll eventually get to the front of the line and other places where it just doesn't because people will jump ahead of you. Right. Which is New York. uh, Well, yeah, there you go. New York. And so, so I, um, so in, um, so moving to the U to the U S I think, um, one, one advantage I did have is I was super resourceful. Like I could get stuff done 
really, really fast because I came from markets that were smaller and more intimate and you would have to be a lot scrappier. Um, and so I think those were, those were pretty much the main, main working differences. Um, and then the other one is just, just time, you know, yeah. like you would, I remember my old team would, would, would make fun of me and just send me an email saying, Hey, where, where, what work have you produced in the last six months? Like you haven't, we haven't heard from you. And I'm like, well, you know, we're still testing everything right now. And so right. it would take, take literally a year to move from a brief to, you know, 15 second, you know, YouTube spot. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Data, data um, informing everything. No, I think that, I think that's it. And then there, there was the, the other, the other thing that, which I found interesting was there was just, I, I never, there was the Midwestern component, which mm. was something that was new to me because Rich, when you're it's like a different country, totally different it, country. It is a different country. And the other thing is like America, what people forget is when you're a foreigner, America gets exported. The cu- culture around America gets exported through the coasts, right? You have LA and you have New York, or at least used to, and, and you, and that is the culture you would assume, um, you know, it, it, that you're exposed to, but you, what you don't realize is that, you know, there are, there are other cultures within the U S and, you know, Midwestern culture, which is, um, you know, very, very polite. And, and I, I assumed I would walk into presentations and I would start presentations and I was going to get stopped on my third slide and get someone say, that's bullshit, you know, and, you know, presentation <laughs> over and someone walk out. But obviously, you know. No, they'll listen. They'll stop. They'll pay attention. <laughs> yeah, there's super lovely people. And, you know, even if they thought everything you had presented and walked them through was shit and it made absolutely no sense as they were very <laughs> diplomatic and very kind. And, yes. and so fundamentally, like, I walk out of presentations thinking, like, that went down really, really well. And people are like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can you can you talk a little bit about the, uh, the the shift in the perception, also the strategy of strategy, uh, because you you talk about entering the the uh, industry in the mid aughts, and I think that right now strategy is obviously so valued, especially when it comes to the compartment uh, compartmentalization of what strategy means, and also also the um, the wide and and variable media landscape which um all has different algorithmic intent based on where you want to put a thing um can you talk about what you've seen change in the way you approach your workflow uh, aside from just the uh the international shifts and the cultural shifts like how how have you changed and and evolved um so it's 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 interesting right because i think our our industry is going through a bit of a crisis right now because rich you have a world that is getting increasingly more mathematical um and our industry has been i mean you know leans more towards the artistic and so so i've Tended to find, I mean, you have it, you'll, you know, and, and, and let me be specific for just in case the listeners don't, you know, I mean, you, you will have literally algorithms telling you, you know, make sure your logo is placed in the first one or two seconds. Um, make sure you open with something dramatic. Don't use black and white, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, so you have literally formulas telling you how to produce um, work or, or any creative work. And so I think there's, there, that's created a, a tension. So, my job has become to ensure that all of that value that is provided is still is being translated in a manner that's just useful to creatives and not 
encroaching on um, and doesn't encroach on what they do. I mean, you know, a good example is 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 like Netflix. Like what Netflix did with House of Cards. This is obviously pre Kevin Spacey, but what they did with House of Cards was they simply used. As, as far as I've understood, is they've used a series data to inform a couple of starting points. What they realized was, all right, okay, we know that people love Kevin Spacey. We know that there's a show similar to House of Cards in the U in the US, in the UK, and it does really, right. really well. And we we know that. Um, correct me. What's the director's name? Oh, uh, Fincher, David Fincher. Uh, maybe it's David Fincher. Yeah, and there, and there's the, those three components are ultimately what what we're going to use as a creative starting point. You know, and so based on that, that they developed, they rolled the dice on three seasons of, of House of Cards. And I think, you know, the arc, if, if, you, if you go back to the creative industry, I think our, our challenge is, is how do we use and leverage all the information we have and all the new tools we have and all the data we have. And you just have just a f- flood of information, but use it as starting points as opposed to, you know, hey, Rich, I need you to create. Uh, you know, an entire integrated campaign. It needs to be about health. It needs to be starring this person and it needs to be this, this duration. This is the music you used to, you need to use because we know our, our consumers like hip hop and it just becomes a complete, you know, a complete shit show. And, and right, so right, fun. right. So, so number one has been um, translate um, the tools and the data and the information we have in a manner that is easy for creatives to understand and to execute and useful. Um, I think that's kind of um, one thing. And then the other thing is just not get distracted. I think what, what, you're, what you're getting right now is you have so many tools that are just making us lazy. Like, I, you know, I, I will say that data has made us lazy because you're looking at it for answers as opposed to generating hypotheses and then looking at it to confirm or reject those hypotheses. Um, so I think that the bare bones of what we do hasn't changed. Like we're still in the business of, of persuasion and behavioral change, except you just have a ton of tools to be able to leverage and hopefully not getting confused and tangled up in them, um, I think is key. Right. I think also that there's a attention, uh, which you just brought up, but like there's another tension I think between the, content the thought of content the perception of what content is and also the intent of marketing and i think that a lot of individuals get caught up in what those differences are and also mix those two and obviously i have a pov because i come from a place over viacom cbs where content is the is a product but um do you have a point of view on marketing versus content and and how those two things intertwine or is it all just one big interconnected thing i think the intent is different but do you have a POV? Um, not one that would probably be valuable. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Way, <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. And the way, I mean, the way we've, you know, my experience with content has been content in service of marketing. You know, so, right, right. so I think a good, the, the best example for me of, um, of a brand that uses content or, or of a brand that's an entertainment brand is like Red Bull. Mm. You know, and Red Bull is a, is a fantastic example of just, it's, it's literally an entertainment franchise around, um, uh, you know, adventure and, and right, right. Uh, I need my motocross videos. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, um, so, so my, so sorry, I'm not probably not answering this question, but, um, I, I what I've seen is content in service of marketing. 
you know, as opposed yeah. to, yeah, that's, that's been my experience. Do you think that there's ever been a good, uh, what's a great piece of content that, that you've seen travel into a true, and let's, it's aside from like a Super Bowl spot where, you know, that's, that's very, you know, based in strategy, you know, there's like, there's obviously like a logical, you know, explosion point of what that content is. Um, but have you seen a transformation where it just has crossed the line? Something like, you know, like, like the Skittles Broadway musical, something like that, you know? Um, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, what have I seen that's been, that's been awesome. Um, or even like how the, the Looney Tunes commercials, like those Jordan commercials turned into Space Jam somehow because Joe Pitka directed all the, the animated spots. Yeah. And then he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do the the movie. Then it turns into Space Jam. Oh, awesome. No, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, what 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 good pieces of content have I seen out there? Um, I think uh, you know again just just sticking to Red Bull right now just because mm. that's that's top of my mind top of mind. I think the the uh, Stratos the jump. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like um, um into the um, into the stratosphere like the high highest elevation jump. Yeah, exactly yeah. the highest elevation jump in history. And I don't remember how many people watched it, but I mean it was it was. A, fantastic piece of content it was it was just super well done incredible um you know and it was just a you know brought the brand's purpose to life um and uh and yeah i think that was that was amazing and sorry just at the top of my head yeah oh that makes total sense um i'd love to go back a little bit to your um to your culture, your personal culture and, and identity. Uh, is there, what about your, your background and your Greek and Lebanese heritage? Do you think, do you think you bring into your work, your workflow? I always like to hear our guests' personal stories about um, what they bring on an, on an ID level into their, yeah. into a commercial level. So, so I think there are a couple of things. I mean, if you look at the similarities, I mean, if you observe the Greeks and the Lebanese in a cafe, um, <laughs> they tend to be quite, uh, I would say, ar- ar- argumentative, but they, they bond through disagreement often. You know, they challenge each other and then there's no, there's no real issue with that. And I, I, was, I, I once read, a, read some, an interesting description of, of and again, it's very difficult to, to generalize for all of America, but the, the, what they were basically saying is they were describing the, the difference between how you bond as a French at a party and as an American as a party. And they were basically saying you bond with an American as a sh- through shared interests, whereas as a, a French, you bond by disagreement, you know? And I found that a lot of, you know, Greek and Lebanese culture is, you know, you challenging one another's, opinions like i mean my my older brother is just exhausting literally everything i say i need to support or i need to defend because he challenges literally everything i'm saying you know it's like, <laughs> it's raining in new york i don't think it's raining in new york and so so that that obviously i think has helped me in the creative space because i do think that um healthy disagreement and and pushing thinking and and more importantly being okay with people pushing my thinking and inviting people to push my thinking because half the time it's, it's crap and the other half it's fine. Um, and so getting people to really, you know, being okay with that and not taking offense to it, I think is part of, part of my culture. I think that the second thing is, uh, like I said, like it's just, we are, as the Greeks or Lebanese and we're just resourceful people. 
and like we can get like we just get shit done you know and so so or as my fiance says we take care of business so um <laughs> so we just you know we we can move you know things quite quickly and be resourceful and figure out all right who do i need to speak to to get this done and and we don't rely on process which has allowed me to um you know, be probably a little bit more efficient and a little bit more effective in pushing projects forward. Um, and then um, I think, Rich, just just having had the luxury of, I think everywhere you go that is different creates elasticity in your mind to be able to understand different type of people, you know? And so in a working environment, being able to be empathetic towards right different cultures and different people and different skills and, and characters. I think it's a, um, it's a big data set that you can pull um, exactly. empathy it's, from. It's a, it's, a, it's a really smart way of, of putting it together. Yeah. It's just like a big data set that you can, you can pull together. And the other thing is, sorry, and this is, this isn't directly related to my, my country, but I just like traveling around the world. You just find out how stupid you are, you know, and, and how, how much of the world you don't know. And still, even at, at, at 40 today and having lived in five, five countries and, and, you know, I, my, what, what that's taught me is just, just, and all of, all of the studies I've done has just taught me that I'm, I'm ignorant. Like there's, there's so many different points of view that exist. Like I came to America thinking like there's one American, but you know, it's, it's such a nuanced and, and rich culture. Um, so, so I think that's, that's pretty much sums it up. Um, in terms of what what um, what my culture has brought to, to my professional life. Oh, that's great. Um, so I want to just, uh, as we're winding down, I want to ask a couple of questions specifically for, you know, stuff moving forward. Obviously, we're, yeah. we're in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and um, I've been working from home. This is, I think, my, my 44th or 45th day working from home. It's pretty crazy. Um, I know we all are. And uh, is there anything or what do you think are going to be the, the permanent shifts in the industry, obviously, I think we all realize that we're more mobile than we than we initially thought we were, and a, a lot of uh, work is being done at a at a different cost, a different production value. Obviously, even this this podcast is a piece of that, even though this is more of like a personal excursion. But uh, what do you think are going to be some of the uh, the stickies of what we're going through right now? Um, oof, it's a it's a it's a really big question um just from a from a, from a professional perspective or from a just a, a cultural one or just professional um, i think um i think professional like, i guess industry yeah. based because you know I, I think that we're all kind of dealing with it you know sure sure um i i think just at the top of my head i think we are probably going to get a little bit leaner as industries. Like I'm just, I'm going to assume that, you know, we are, we are going to have to get a little bit more efficient just as, as industries and leaner as industries. So we're going to have to figure out how to do more with less. I think that that's just the obvious one. Um, I think, um, I think the other, the other factor is um, it's, it's interesting because even though we're, isolated i i feel like like my network has expanded just because traditionally the way you network within your your organizations is you'll network with your neighbors with people who are sitting next to you you know or, or and, and so now all of a sudden you no longer have that 
And so there are no rules. There's no proximity to, to who you're hanging out with most or working out with, working with most. And so for some reason, like this, this, this has offered us an excuse to reach out to people who you wouldn't have traditionally worked with. Um, and so I'm going to guess that, um, you know, you're, we're establishing models of collaboration and little networks of collaboration that we wouldn't have traditionally established um, previously. That's awesome. I'm going to make that a t-shirt, different models of collaboration. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Send one over to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Were you in Brooklyn or are you Manhattan? Where are you at? No, I'm in Manhattan. You're in Manhattan? Okay. Yeah. We can't even cross over the bridge right now. It's crazy. Um, So, so on a personal level, how are you staying sane, staying like, you know, maintaining your health and also like staying creative? Like what are you personally doing uh, during, during all of this? So, Rich, I don't know. I, f- I, feel, I feel really fortunate. I mean, everyone's like, oh, you're in the middle. Like, I have friends texting me from abroad saying, you're in Manhattan. Like, it must be crazy. But, I mean, still, like, if you look at in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, how this could impact certain developing countries, you know, I mean, I feel fortunate to be here. So just reminding myself that, yeah. yes, I you're definitely in agree. Yeah, you're like you're in New York, but like there's 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 a healthcare system, and there's a competent government now. Uh, sorry, a competent competent governor. Uh, <laughs> very, very important, important distinction. Important distinction. Yeah. yeah. So, right now we're all we're all Cuomosexuals right now. <laughs> exactly. He's he, he is he is awesome. He's major. Uh, so far, he's major. He's, he's been awesome, and and so. So that's one is just reminding myself of that. Two is just try to try to do my part and just check in on my family and, and check in on you know people who are part part of my team. And uh, my my fiance is just amazing. She's just been supportive and 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 she's just a pleasure. Like I fell in love with her over again. You know, thanks <laughs> thanks to oh that's amazing. Um, yeah yeah um, thanks to this um, and um, and then I go out for bike rides. Like there is. My, my the, the love of my life right now in terms of hobbies is taking my bicycle. I'm on 30th and 6th and going out to, to the west and then, you know, going all the way up to the George Washington Bridge and then over, over the bridge into, well, not into the Palisades because New Jersey's closed, um, closed right. their parks, but just going for a beautiful ride by the water is just like my, 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 my preserves my sanity. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, our listeners, uh, everyone's on their work from home and their quarantine life. So that'll be really positive for them to hear. Cool. Glad, I'm glad. I hope so. I hope yeah. So. All right. Um, uh, Nicholas, man, this has been a great talk. This is a pleasure. We have to do this IRL at some point when we get out of this. Consider it done. Consider, consider me in whenever you want. Done. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it, Rich. Absolutely. Where can our listeners find you? Is there anything else coming up that you're working on? Is there uh, any other projects you want to throw out there? Um, no, you can just, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so just Nicholas Chidiak, Nicholas with no H. Um, so yeah, I'm just on LinkedIn and, um, you know, uh, my, my side gig is like, uh, I lecture at NYU sometimes for mm. post marketing grads. So the other place you can find me is lecturing at NYU. Oh, actually, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a follow-up question after the plug, because I am curious. How has your educational life changed? And also, ha- I know that all students now, you know, all universities are closed, and they seem to be closed for the foreseeable. What, what has shifted there for you, if anything? So, Rich, it's, it's, it's interesting because, the, yes, the classes have shifted online, and, you know, and, and, and universities are doing quite well, you know, through Zoom or, or what have you, but I yep. think we're where most where a lot of the learning takes place is, you know, in the hallways and the corridors. And I think right now you don't have that. So I think even though I'm sure universities and NYU figured out that, hey, yeah, you know, we can teach this online. I, I, what I don't imagine is, is, is well, I, I, I imagine a lot of learning will shift on, online permanently, but I think universities like NYU will hopefully turn around and still say, independent of how successful they have felt this is, because they understand that learning is ultimately the networking that happens in, in the corridors and the hallways. In the corridors and the hallways. I love that. That's another t-shirt there. All right, Nicholas, thank you so much again, brother. This has been a ton of fun, and uh, we'll get some drinks IRL, hopefully, when we get on the other All side right, of Rich. this. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. You can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get podcast content. On social media, you can find us at at FirstGenBurden, and you can find me at Rich underscore TU on various social media. If possible, please support your frontline healthcare workers by donating to First Responders First at help.firstrespondersfirst.co. Check this feed for more episodes. I hope you stay safe and stay healthy.